G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. For most Christians and for a lot of churches, their highest priority is to worship God, which usually means what happens on a Sunday morning. And different churches, of course, have a variety of ways that they might describe their worship style. I mean, in more traditional churches, worship is often characterized by a liturgical focus, a certain order of song, prayer, Bible readings, preaching, and often a reaffirmation of timeless creeds of the Christian faith. Well, in churches where a contemporary expression of Christian praise and worship is the focus, oftentimes the styling is more modern. Uh, There's all sorts of lighting, a contemporary praise and worship band, and the preaching connects biblical Christianity to our modern challenges. And there may be lots that are somewhere in between. So what did worship look like in the first century? When the early church was being born, what can we glean from what things were like then to the way we do it today? And to complicate things, how did the New Testament Christian worship differ from the worship of the Old Testament? Well, our special guest today is a contemporary worship leader who's also written a book about worship in the New Testament church. Her name is Karen Durand. She is an Australian singer, songwriter and author, a former vocal director for Youth Alive and accomplished church worship leader. She's recently released her own album of praise and worship tracks called Leave a Message. And yes, we'll get to hear one or two of those songs just ahead. But let me make a special welcome along to Karen Durand. Karen, welcome to 2020. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Karen, looking forward to our conversation, looking forward to hearing a song or two as well. Is it the case, as we get our conversation underway, that you can't really understand worship today unless you have some insights and understanding about worship the way it was, perhaps going right back to the Old Testament, then into the New Testament, and getting some context for what it looks like today? You've written all about this. Uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, a good way to put it. I mean, it's it's very much the case that to understand worship today, we need to look back to what Scripture says, because worship, of course, has to be what God demands of worship, not what we demand of it. And I guess I wrote the book initially from seeing that a lot of people on the worship teams that I helped to serve didn't really understand what what the goal was on a on a Sunday for a corporate worship service. They weren't too clear about what it was that they were trying to achieve. And and this surprised me. And so the book is a, a collection of all the learnings regarding explaining that to people that I've been blessed enough to learn that God's shown me over the years of serving in the church. Hmm. 
Well, I love the idea of getting a context for these things, mm. and uh, I'll often talk about that in different conversations on this program. But uh, let's get a, an even bigger context here, because when we say worship Old Testament, New Testament, mm. present day, you actually bring Job into the equation in your writing. And you say, and uh, quoting out of Job chapter 38, where Job tells us that even at the very beginning, God created the world in which we live, the stars sang and the mm. angels shouted for joy. There's an even bigger context here than understanding Old and New Testament and our current mm. worship. Yes, and it, it, it is a big context. It goes back to our relationship with God, of course, and what he created us for. And yes, Job is the first book that was written. It's, it's the oldest manuscripts that we can find. And it does say that the stars and, and things sang. Um, the the Old Testament talks about God singing over his creation as well. And and singing and music has always been a part of worship as long as, as humans and God have been in a relationship. So that's really true. Um, and I guess it does come back to, uh, to understand that you do need to go back to the story of the gospel and even, in fact, back to what worship looked like in the garden before the fall because that is the model that God actually created. Okay. And that was, yeah, worship in relationship with him. Karen, let's talk about your own journey here into worship. Uh, take us back to early days and you realised, I guess, that you could sing and then uh, started writing songs. Uh, give us a little insight into your own journey and uh, your deeper appreciation of what it is to be a worshipper. Yeah, I, I wasn't raised in an, in the Christian church. I didn't I don't have a church background as a child. Um, and I learned I had a difficult uh, family, most of us do. I mean, we've all got <laughs> parents who are imperfect and as a, a little lost eight year old I went to um, I went to school one day and went to scripture and I heard that as small and as disregarded as I felt as a, a little child in the west of Sydney, I was, that the, the God who made everything loved me so much and saw me and gave his son that I could know him and have life. And I was only a child and it was a childlike faith, but I really, really clung to that. And when I got home from school, my mum said, what did you do today at school? I said, I gave my heart to Jesus and I became a Christian and my mum was just flabbergasted. And that's where my journey with God began. And as I grew up and found my way in life, God honoured that commitment that I made, that childlike faith where I said, yes, I trust you, you, you love me, you, uh, you made everything and yet you see me, you see who I am and you understand me and you still love me. And so it was a really personal relationship from an early age and God shepherded me through my life ever since. I can't deny it. If people say to me, how do you believe in God? I say, well, I, I've seen his hand. I've heard his voice. I've, I've seen him work in my life. So, and that's how we overcome, by the word of our testimony. But as I hit teenage years, yes, I could always sing. I was singing as a small child and right through. Um, I met another musician who was a Christian on a train and we decided we would make a band so we would make a Christian band to sing about this God that we both loved and that was the beginning of my 
um, songwriting and performing journey with music to point people to God. And it was later in my life at 19 or so that I became aware of the problem of sin and how, you know, a holy God finds my imperfections and the, the failings that I've had to be so awful and to understand more deeply the, the transaction that Jesus did on the cross that changed my relationship with God. And, and out of that, worship comes. That's when you, um, you just want to lift his name and honor him and shout his praise and, and create music that just glorifies who he is. So that was my journey. What a wonderful journey that is. And uh, I think it's it's such a breath of fresh air to hear that you didn't grow up in a church family. And so you didn't have a particular church style of worship context that actually shaped you. And uh, no doubt you were shaped, of course, in your uh, later years when you did discover Christ. And uh, there was shaping that happened there. But you've applied your own thinking coming back to the scriptures uh, in your book to be able to talk mm-hmm. about worship and uh, this whole idea of this context, uh, worship in the New Testament church. You went back to the, the New Testament and you said, well, what can I glean from this mm-hmm. to apply to the way I lead worship today? And yeah. so if you think about that, and I, I know there's all sorts of things we could talk about, but what's most outstanding for you as you come back to the New Testament and you say things were different then and this is the way we apply things today? Is there something outstanding that we can glean from uh, something, perhaps even just a sort of a cursory glance at New Testament times and say this is something we need to take with us today? Yeah, I, I think probably it's hard. I want to pick more than one, but the the one obvious one is when Jesus said it is finished and and gave up his his last breath on the cross and died that temple curtain was torn in two and we we know that we talk about it but the significance of it for worship and our relationship with God was was massive because up until that point the literal presence of God was locked away from us in in the tabernacle and then Later in the, in the um, the temple in the holy of holies, where only one person could could approach once a year, um, and the spirit of God only rested on kings and prophets. And so, worship was a lot of rituals and actions that were done in the temple. And then, when Jesus died, and that curtain was ripped in two, it's such a powerful um, symbol that we can now run straight into the presence of God. And also, I guess, some some uh, theologians say that, yes, we can now approach the bold throne boldly in the Holy of Holies, but also the Spirit of God was let loose in a way, and, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit now to each of us to dwell with us, to be our counsellor, helper, healer, teacher. And we carry the power of Spirit within or among us as Christians, which is completely different to the Old Testament where people wandered around only hearing from God at a third or second removed place and and the Holy Spirit resting on kings and prophets and being taken away. So that radically changes worship. We we have no gates to enter through. We have no, um, you know, journey to crack through. There is no heaven that we have to break through. That's all been done by Jesus' work on the cross. And so worship now is relationship and it's, 
it's the bride coming to the groom and just singing out her love for him and and raising him up and exalting him. And so, yeah, that would be my my pivotal one if I had to pick it. Well, I think we <laughs> might even get to enlarge a little on that because this idea, as you say, in the Old Testament, people had to come to the temple to worship God, and as you say, at that point, it was only the high priest who was able to go behind the curtain and be in the presence of God. And mm. since that, now that curtain has been torn, top to bottom, and the access to the Holy of Holies is there for all of us, and I love that part in your book where you talk about, you know, God is building a powerful priesthood for his purposes with Jesus mm. himself as the high priest. Get ready gates of hell an army has been unleashed on the earth and uh, it's an army of worshippers people who are now having this access to be able to come boldly into the holy of holies no doubt we'll get a chance to expand on some of that too and just how powerful worship is but let's listen to have a one of i've listened to one of your songs here karen and uh, we're going to listen to everything it seems uh, spent eight weeks on the TCM, that's the Today's Christian Music Australia chart, peaked at number 19. Uh, give us a little insight into Everything It Seems. Yeah, I love that song. It's, it's a song co-written with uh, Nathan Ashman, and we wrote it to sort of say there's a lot of love in the world that's not that high a love. Um, our parents let us down, our partners let us down, um, people that we love aren't perfect. And so sometimes we can place so much expectation in that love and be really devastated when it doesn't match up to what we think it should be for us. But but God's love for us, it's everything it seems. It's, it's the one constant in your life that you cannot change. Um, we are held in the, in the palm of his hand. And so that song seeks to remind us that God's love is everything it seems. Let's have a listen in. This is the song Everything It Seems. It's Karen Durand and her album is called Leave a Message. We're talking about what it is to be a worshipper today. Back with more after we have a listen in to Karen's song Everything It Seems. You've nothing to hide Your love is a clear view No lie can disguise Who you are, who you are True belongs to you Your motives don't fade No promise you're broken While others are swayed Unchanging, unchanging
Karen Durand, Australian singer, songwriter and author. Karen is our guest this hour on 2020. We're talking about the heart of a worshipper. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us on this Friday edition of 2020. We're talking about worship this hour with Australian singer, songwriter, worship leader Karen Durand. Karen, we've been talking about worship, the difference that happens into the New Testament. And uh, you mentioned the temple curtain being torn top to bottom and Christian believers now having access into the Holy of Holies that Old Testament Christians didn't have. You mentioned, too, that in your journey you came across issues to do with sin and the way that affects our relationship with God. Let's talk a little bit about the reluctance that Christian believers sometimes have to really make worship something of a central focus of our whole being. What are your thoughts on on this reluctance to worship God? <laughs> yeah, I, I, as a musician, well, as just a person, I, I, I don't have any issue, but I, I found that in my ministry, as I talk to people, that people who... Um, didn't have boldness to approach the throne or freedom in their worship, often hadn't quite resolved their their standing with God, their actual positioning with God um, and their relationship with him and who they were. And that, that, that insecurity, that nervousness was what was related to um, a lack of freedom in and comfort, com- being comfortable in worshipping God. And I... You reminded me that uh, in the book I wrote about my German shepherds um, and how I noticed this same thing when they had done something wrong. Okay, so, a lot of dog owners will uh, will follow along here and know what you're talking about. You've got <laughs> uh, you've got two German shepherd dogs. Yes, uh, Lance and I have two German shepherd dogs. They are just wonderful, affectionate, beautiful dogs. They're like children in the sense that they are very honest. And they can't uh, put on any type of front, so they wear their hearts on their furry, furry sleeves. And if we come home and they they don't rush up and greet us, then we know that there's something wrong, something's gone on. Um, and we generally find that a hole has been dug or some valuable item has been chewed. Um, and it's amazing; the dogs know when you're going to be mad with them. And that reminded me of Adam and Eve in the garden after they had disobeyed God and done something that wasn't pleasing to God in the same way uh, our dogs might choose something and it's not pleasing to us. And they avoided God. They hid from God. And um, that relationship of how initially worship in, in relationship was meant to be was broken. And, yeah, you see that reflected. When you look through the curse, you see that it affected relationships and unity everywhere. It Death entered the world, but it also affected our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. The relationship between men and women is is changed in the curse. And so all of those things are affected by sin, Um and so, yes, I, I find that when people sit and work, work through uh, their reluctance or their, their 
uncomfortableness with, with worshipping freely. It has to do that they're not quite confident in approaching God boldly and it's coming from somewhere that they're not too sure that they're okay with God. And so it comes to understanding what Jesus has done and understanding who we are because of that. I suspect that all of us uh, who are turning up at church on Sunday and then often you know, being exposed to someone who's leading praise and worship, uh, we've come with some of these insecurities, some of these issues of sins in our lives. And, uh, you know, we might know uh, in our own mind that uh, we're born again, that we're saved, that we're, uh, you know, that our sins are atoned for. But somehow or other, we come with this uh, certain baggage to church on a Sunday. Puts a lot of responsibility, doesn't it, on the praise and worship leader to know where people are at so that they can lead them into a place where they can be free to worship. What are your thoughts here about you know the responsibility on the praise and worship leader? It's interesting that you should mention that because that can stress some worship leaders out. I, I don't actually, when I come to lead worship, I don't sense that I have any responsibility for, for that at all. Um, and I, there's, a, there's another story in the book about talking about this with a team and and they were very stressed about ministering to the people from from the worship and they even prayed asking Jesus to help them uh, minister to the people in the worship time and I thought gosh that's like asking someone whose birthday party it is to make sure that everyone else is having a good time (laughs) (laughs) okay and I, I said hey what about this week we make worship just for God. What about we think of Jesus as being the only audience, an audience of one, which is another song I've written, and that we're just inviting the people that come in to also join with us in, in singing to God as if he is the only audience. Because if it's worship, God is the only audience. And worship is always directed to him. So whenever I'm leading worship, and, and I see worship leaders get free from so much stress about this as, as they become aware of the doctrine on this in the Bible, is that worship, it's not our responsibility up there to um, minister to people. I mean, people do get ministered to, but God does that. Um, it's our responsibility to to go ahead as a leader in the sense of, already passing through that journey, laying aside the things that have we've struggled with this week, realising that whatever we're facing, Jesus is still on the throne, that nothing's changed in who we are and where we stand in, in spiritually. Um, and then and then just lifting up his name and inviting others to join us. And that's actually that's actually the role of the worship leader, just just to go before, I guess, like the front line at, at Jericho. and So and there's a certain be- humility that you're talking about here, which uh, is necessary for the worship leader, that you're not there to put the rod over people's backs and stir up some sort of, uh, you know, spirituality environment. What you've got no. to do is lead by example. If you are able to, as you say, enter into the Holy of Holies, then that leadership is going to be overflowing as an expression of the way you lead. Yeah, that you put that so well. That is precisely it. You 
you know, as a worship leader, you prepare and you go, I'm leading, um, I'm leading the people in worshiping God. I'm not trying to get God to come down and touch the people. And it's, that, that's massive. That's, <laughs> we can't do that. Karen Durand is our guest. Here's another one of Karen's songs called If You Saw What I See.
It's Australian singer, songwriter and author Karen Durand. If you saw what I see and on the today's Christian music chart, the TCM chart, uh, that song reached number 15. Karen is our guest this hour. She's also written a book called Worship in the New Testament Church and we're talking about the heart of the worshipper today. And Karen, we've been talking about the context and I mentioned that, you know, there is a context. We started talking about the stars singing and angels shouting for joy. Then what was happening in the Garden of Eden and the way that people in the Old Testament had to come to the temple because it was the priest who was able to go behind the curtain. But then in the New Testament, the curtain ripped top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross and the open temple for Christian believers to come into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. Let's talk about how Jesus changes worship. I wonder how you describe what happens, uh, given that we now have this access to worship God right there at his heart. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so Jesus now, of course, is our high priest, um, and, and we're a priesthood of believers. So the whole Old Testament model of worship um, in the tabernacle and in the temple was done away with when Jesus did his work on the cross, and it changed everything. Um he, we now live in in the presence of God. In fact, uh, the the scriptures say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now we are the temple of of the living God. The presence of God is within us or among us. The Greek word there that the the, the Spirit of God is within you, um, or where Jesus says, "Where two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst." It, it applies that collectively we are the presence of God on the earth and that, that we have the presence of God with us. So totally different to the, the Old Testament model of worship and God only being in one place. But we do see, if we don't fully understand it, then we do, um, we do see Christians thinking accidentally that the presence of God only comes on a Sunday when we're together in church. And that when we go out from that place, we, we don't actually have that same presence, which, which breeds a powerless bunch of Christians on the earth. <laughs> and that's, that's definitely an Old Testament model. Now, you say in your book, it's never God's intention to be separated from the people. And so back no. to that Old Testament model in the temple, uh, the New Testament model, God gives access to the people into the Holy of Holies. Mm. So you've talked about a number of different illustrations. One of those is what we can glean from the story of the woman at the well and the, mm. the way that Jesus changes worship when we look at that conversation. What are your thoughts here about the woman at the well? Yeah, he talks about that. So um, they start the conversation talking about water. And they move on to religion and, and they're two different forms of worship that were between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. And, and she says, well, you say we should worship on this mountain and, and I say on this mountain. And Jesus says to her, look, there's going to come a time where where we worship or how we do it is irrelevant. Um, it's going, God wants worshippers in the spirit and in truth. And that's really surprising to her because she's still there in the Old Testament model of thinking that to be right with God, you have to do certain worship rituals in the right way. Um, and Jesus turns the table and says, look, it's not about that anymore. It's God 
is restoring relationship like he initially wanted in the garden between himself and his people, and he, and he did it through the person of Jesus and the price that Jesus paid. So one of the worship, we know that one of the worship rituals was the shedding of blood to to make, uh, put us right with God because of sin needed to be covered with blood. And there was all types of different animals that would be sacrificed for different sins. There was even a guilt offering where if you weren't sure if you sinned or not, you would um, sacrifice a certain dove. And so, of course, we know that Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice and paid that ultimate price, and that is all done away with. So we're in a, who we are now, where we stand with God because of what Jesus has done is so unbelievably transformational that when we grasp it and, and we know where we stand, it, it is incredible. It makes such a massive difference. And actually, that's what that last song is about. It's if you saw yourself the way that God sees you, if we grasp who we are and all of the resources that the, the Holy Spirit has given us, then we have everything we need to to live a life. And the battle, I guess, then is just in the mind as to whether or not we believe that to be true. <laughs> 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today as we talk about worship let's talk about things taking it a little bit deeper here Karen because in the New Testament and let's go to that very very significant passage in Romans chapter 12 verses mm-hmm. 1 and 2 where Paul actually when he talks about worship actually isn't talking about singing the way we are and we'll get your impressions about the connection between the singing and this but Paul writes there in the first verse uh, in Romans chapter 12 I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice mm-hmm. holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship Worship. What are your thoughts here about this verse? And uh, when we talk about singing, uh, this is not talking about singing. No, that's a cracker verse. That's, that is every every worship person's um, verse, and it's it's great. Romans is like the extra gospel, and Paul spells out this this book of New Testament worship. He says, "Look, this is where you used to stand. This is where you were because of sin." Um, and then this is what Jesus has done. And, and he goes through 11 chapters of, of doctrine, basically explaining the work of Christ. And then says in this verse, therefore, because of that, because of all this stuff that Jesus has done and achieved, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. So Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. We don't sacrifice um, any animals, luckily, today in the church. And... And Paul is saying, you don't have to do those rituals of worship. Now you are the worship. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you, living out your life in everything that you do, in every action, is your spiritual worship act to God. So living out your life is your spiritual worship to God. And if we were connecting then, what happens when the worshippers gather together on a Sunday and there is this singing that we've talked about from the Old Testament, 
we're actually talking about maybe here hitting a reset button or how do you how do you discuss uh, this idea of what happens when you're in church on Sunday and yeah. the band begins to play and you begin to enter in and what happens to you that enables you to be then launched into a new week as being a living sacrifice give us some insights here <laughs> That's a great way to put it. You, you know, I'm, I'm loving discussing this with you. Um, I think about, we are told to sing, of course. Paul directs us in, in other places to sing spiritual songs to each other and to sing to God with gratitude in our hearts. So there is this actual physical um, singing of worship as well. It's like, the way I like to think about it is as the church, as the bride of Christ, it's when the bride says the words, I love you. So we're asked to live out our life um, in worship to God. And, and it's like a bride or a wife who is um, making the home beautiful for a husband, um, doing lots of practical things for him, serving him, loving in very practical ways, um, making clothes, making money, keeping the house or you know, running a business like the good, the good wife in Proverbs 31. But imagine if that wife never ever took the time to come aside and look in her husband's eyes and say, I adore you, I love you, these are the things that I love about you and, um, and thank you for being you. And in a way, that is what we do when we sing worship to God. It's, it's the bride taking the time to exalt and to say those words, that special relationship time with with the husband, and we are doing that with God. And God loves unity. This is this is another thing that that I have researched is that a lot of uh, theologians think that when it says we're made in the image of God, that it is actually community that we are made in the image of God. So God, being Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect agreement, um, He's He's created us. It, and said it's not good for man to be alone. He's created man, women, community, family. And unity is very important to God because it's an expression of actually of who he is. And I think music, musical worship, God designed it in such a way that we really have to work together in a lot of practical unity to get a song together to write a song and to play with all different instruments and voices in harmony and to work together. So it's kind of... Um, and he says, don't give up meeting together. When, when you love each other, when you encourage each other and when you demonstrate that, that's how people know you're my disciples. So unity is, is an expression of who God is. So a number of things there. He loves it when we meet together and we encourage each other. But he loves it when we meet together and we take the time to exalt him and praise him and declare who he is and tell him out loud and shout out to the world and the spirit realm and whoever is listening, who knows what happens there, who we are because of God, but who God is and all the great things about him, why we love him so much and who he is. And, and he just loves that. He loves it. So we've got this individual expression, but then, as you say, the corporate expression really is a reflection of who God is as well. And so there is a proclamation that's made there, which you can do on your own, but something special happens when you are actually in this sort of community with other believers. And uh, you were talking about Ephesians chapter 5 
19 and 20, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father. I mean, all that's fabulous, and it happens in a special way when you are in that corporate environment. Let's take a, a quick call or two. Let's hear from Jason in Perth, who's been waiting patiently. Jason, uh, what are your thoughts? In Victoria, Mingo? Oh, you're in Victoria. Jason, yes. yes. I'd like to say that I would like to say to Karen, God bless you and all you do. And also, I, I do, I also sing to people in prayer when I pray for mm. them. Yes, yeah, that's fantastic. Karen. Fantastic to sing to people in prayer. How how amazing is that? Um, God, God sung over us, and we sing to others. Uh, it's been a while since I've heard prophecy sung in a church, but that is a very powerful and beautiful thing. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for your call and a very short a time. It may be time for another call uh, to come, except to say that singing, praise and worship, uh, something happens in the corporate environment here mm-hmm. and it adjusts something in us, Karen, uh, reminds yeah, us of who Christ is and who we are in relation to him. Uh, it's, it's, not the, it's not the secondary part of the church service. It's, it's one of the primary elements, isn't it? It is, um, uh, and I've experienced this. It's what you were saying before, when sometimes you come in church pumped up and ready to go, sometimes you come into church burdened with the cares of this life, you know, we're in between the now and the not yet, we're living in an imperfect world. And knowing that, that Jesus is still on the throne, it does, that it's, worship is a great adjuster. It adjusts your attitude to remember who God is, um, and who we are, which is a tiny speck on planet, which is a tiny speck in the Milky Way, which is a tiny speck in the universe, which is a tiny speck in the cosmos. And God holds all of that in his hand. And yes, we remember, oh, he is in control. He is, he is a plan that's being worked out that we can't see. We can only just see the lamp into our feet. And to worship is to put that back in perspective for us as well. That's true. God has designed it, even though it's for him. You know, worship is the only thing we give to God that he hasn't given us first. Mm. Have you ever thought about that? That is quite a significant and profound thing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, let Everything me. Else we have, he's given us. So, yes, we, we offer it to God and we give that to him, but, of course, we are blessed. We are so short of time now, time's running out, but I don't want to miss something so special that you've been writing about because oftentimes we think of our praise and worship team at our local church and uh, we're often, maybe even sometimes, passing judgment and uh, maybe they're not the most skilled musicians. Maybe they don't always sing a song in perfect pitch, but (laughs) you like to talk about excellence not as a standard of perfection but as an issue here of the heart and an attitude, give us a little insight in what you would expect to see from a, a worship team doing their best serving God in their local church setting. Well, yes, that excellence was introduced to to me in my uh, year of full-time Bible college, and it's an excellent spirit. It's about, it's about doing things in a way that God is glorified, whether people are watching or not. 
Um, it is about doing the very best with the gifts that God has given us. It is about rehearsing and preparing and honing our craft. Um, but the goal, the difference between excellence and perfectionism is that the goal is worship, not having the song perfect. And so we can hit that goal every week <laughs> because we can throw out our hands and worship magnificently our magnificent God without perfection but with great excellence in our spirit and our attitude and our service to each other and to God. Well, what wonderful insights we've been able to glean from you today, Karen Durand. I want to point people to your website because that's a connecting point, not only for your book, which is Worship in the New Testament Church. It's karendurand.com.au, but it's also a connection point for your album, Leave a Message. And no doubt people can Google and uh, in whatever way, Spotify, however they're actually (laughs) getting a hold of music, they can actually access some of your music. Where's the best place, do you think, for listeners today who've heard a couple of your songs over this past hour and thinking, I could listen to some more of Karen? Where would they find your music? All of the above. Certainly iTunes, Spotify, uh, all of those places. Um, and I haven't made the book available as an e-book yet, but I want to do that soon and have that available on the website as well, which is just under construction. Well, let me say, having gone through your book in a substantial way, it is really well written. It is has a wonderful flow to it. It builds, as we've been talking about through the hour, a wonderful context uh, for how you discuss worship today because you've got this context of New Testament church worship, Old Testament church worship, and as we even mentioned earlier, the stars and the angels singing and shouting glory to God. Uh, Karen Durand, D-U-R-A-N-D. Dot com dot au. Karen Durand dot com dot au. Her book is Worship in the New Testament Church. Her album is called Leave a Message. Karen, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart and your time with us today on 2020. Great pleasure. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.